Hi guys, before we get into today's episode, um, if you could just do us a favour and follow the podcast on whatever platform you're using it on, uh, it really helps us get it out to more people, and also if you're enjoying the episodes, then it, it will notify you when new episodes are out. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Enjoy the episode. This week on the Divided Opinion Podcast. So yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. Should we get into it, Wes? Yeah, let's go. And it, we, I don't care about a tradition or a DNA or as people always re- often refer to with United. I don't, I don't care about any of that. It's got to the point now where Manchester United need to be successful again. And if that means bringing someone in like Antonio Conte, then so be it. Well, the, yeah, they lost against Arsenal last night in the uh, EFL Cup. They drew against Wolves at the weekend, lost against Southampton. Have the wheels fallen off for Bielsa? He's shown what he could have done the first time around if, he, if they'd kept him around for a bit longer. And yeah, he's doing a great job at sort of repairing the image of West Ham. I mean, go back two or three years, and West Ham was a it was a toxic place to be. I mean, do you think Arsenal fans are now right to trust the process, right to trust Arteta? Hello and welcome back to season two, episode ten of the Divided Opinion podcast. We're into double figures, Westy. How are you today? Yeah, really good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. All good. You've sorted your laptop problems out? Um, in a way, yeah. Mine, mine, yeah. Mine's still up north somewhere, but I'm... Uh... You're making a habit of leaving things up north, aren't you, recently? Yeah, yeah, man. man. So much going and your, on. And your dignity as well. Yeah. Oh, my, pr- my pride along with Man United's. Yeah, well, we're going to get on to Manchester United, obviously. Uh, the topics we're going to talk about today, we're obviously going to talk about United, Liverpool, how can we not? Um, we're going to talk about Leeds, who've been struggling this season, talking about maybe if that Bielsa bubble has burst. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about West Ham, what like the realistic ambitions are for them this season. Uh, might talk about Chelsea, we're going to talk about Arsenal, possibly talk about the El Clasico as well. So, yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. Should we get into it, West? Yeah, let's go. Right, should we start? I think it'd only be right to start with United versus Liverpool. Obviously, if you've been living under a rock, Liverpool beating United at Old Trafford 5-0. I suppose there's only really one place to start, Westy. And it's with you. And let's just hear your thoughts from the game, how you're feeling now. I sure, I imagine now, because you get a few days with the podcast, you get a few days to kind of let the emotions simmer a bit. Are you yeah. any less angry now, or how are we feeling? Um, the funniest thing is, I've been a lot more angry at other games in the past at Man United. Got to the point on Sunday where it was just a bit of a got when it got to three or four nil, it was just sort of, almost sort of laughable. Like it, was, it, it just left me lost for words, really. I suppose I was going to ask, like, what was the overriding emotion really that you were feeling? Was it a lot um, of anger? Was it frustration? Was it was it embarrassment? Well, obviously, yeah, humiliation. But I was more more just sort of shocked and just shocked at the the sheer sort of the level of performance from every single person on the pitch. Uh, obviously, we all know 
people's thoughts on Ollie now. Doesn't look like he's going to go for the time being anyway. Maybe give him two or three more weeks. And obviously, the manager is massive. Is a massive part of how a team plays, how they set up. And obviously, you saw from the opening two or three goals. He's obviously sent them out there for some strange reason of trying to press Liverpool. Man United can't press. They never have been able to press since since Ferguson was here. And even Ferguson wasn't a massive pressing manager. It's never been in our sort of style of football pressing. Obviously, I bet when the first two or three minutes when United came out and started pressing Liverpool, running down their back four, I, I, like Skull said in the other night after Atalanta, I bet Klopp would have been rubbing his hands together and the Liverpool players would have been on that pitch thinking, here we go. I mean, what are they trying to do here? But the, the individual performances and it was the most, the thing that annoyed me the most was just sort of like that the, you could just see the lack of effort. It was almost like the players were downing tools and they've done it for other managers before and I remember Roy Keane saying, doesn't matter who's in charge, the Leopards don't change their spots. If these want to down tools for another manager, they will and I thought you saw that started to creep in maybe for the first time. Maybe at Leicester, I'd, I'd say you were at the game. Did you yeah. see a bit of a sort of a lack of fight and effort? Absolutely, absolutely. And if I'm honest, when I look at it with United players, and obviously we've seen this week that Sir Alex has been at the training ground. They're all trying to rally around Ollie now. But I can't really blame the players. I'm not saying they're justified for downing tools. I don't think any player is justified to do that. They're paid to do a job and they, they should do so accordingly. But I think for me, this is all down to Ollie, in my, in my opinion. Obviously, there is a certain amount of blame with the players. But I think the players have shown for a, a decent amount of time now that they were willing to play for Ollie. But when we've seen kind of talk coming out of the training ground and rumours and it all just seems to be falling apart really about certain players I think we had it was Eric Bailly that confronted Solskjaer after the Leicester game Yeah, uh, we've obviously Van der Beek's obviously clearly not going to be happy we've heard stuff about Paul Pogba obviously he's come out he's come out saying that it is fake news um, that he I don't know what the the, what the the headline was that he'd snubbed Solskjaer yeah. I don't know what they meant by um Pogba snubbing Solskjaer I don't know what that in that context what what they meant by that but yeah no going back to what you asked me I, I think the players yeah Leicester they just weren't there but they seem to lack direction and the players at the end of the day the manager's the guy that's telling them what to do and if you look at certain teams you can see each player knows what their role is and I think a lot of the players all they want to do, they want a lot of players just want to know what their role is in a team, and they'll be happy and comfortable to go out and just do that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's different kinds of players that want, will just want to go out and play their own game. But can you blame the players? Do you think it's justified now? First of all, being Wednesday morning, I'm massively shocked he's still in the job. I think our feeling both was on Monday when all the sort of, like I said, when all briefings come out about players being unhappy sort of like Ronaldo questioning tactics, all the big players questioning Solskjaer's sort of leadership and what he can actually do with this team. You expect the next bit of news the following morning to be Solskjaer's lost his job. And obviously that's not happened yet. I'm not sure when if it will happen or when it will happen. It seems inevitable. They they say they've given this sort of free game, free games to save his job. But in all honesty, I think they're basically just 
giving him free games whilst they, for the next two weeks, sort out, trying to get a proper replacement in. Because obviously it doesn't seem like they're too keen on Conte because they would have gone for him straight away if they if they were. I've heard that Con- yeah. Conte's going to respectfully wait for the job. He's going to respect Solskjaer, but I've, I'm hearing that other figures in the club don't aren't keen on him and don't think he suits the style of the club. But when it gets this point for United, yeah, coming up to 10 years without a Premier League title, almost five years without any trophy, maybe United just need to sort of let go of traditions and what and what they think's right. Because football's so much different to when Alex Ferguson was, was managing and you need to be ruthless in this day and age to, to be successful and you need proper winners who are going to ruffle a few feathers you can't have yes men that are going to be happy to to answer to everything what people want to hear at the club and yeah. try and, and they and Solskjaer's done a great job don't get me wrong and he's in, he's he's restored the, the image of United and he's yeah he's got us back to a certain point but it's at this certain point now where it's clear to see that they need to do what Chelsea did with the likes of Lampard and Tuchel and get someone like a Conte in who is going to tell the players what what's what. It's going to cut some of them out if they're not willing to do the work. And he would be successful at Man United. I don't think anyone can... He would win Manchester United a trophy. And it's whether you... I think... What do United want as a club? Are they happy just being yeah. a top four team? It seems like that at the moment. Yeah, I think when it comes to the decision about Oli was still still being in a job, I think it just highlights the the hierarchy at United's just ignorance. Because for me, from an outsider's perspective, and I know United fans of the romanticism of having Solskjaer there, and everyone wanted Solskjaer to do well. But from an outsider's perspective, this kind of ending that we're we're seems like we're we're coming to i feel like it's been inevitable for a long time and it's deja vu really and i know it's never been this bad but this kind of peaks and troughs and having a bad game and then or having a bad few results and then coming back and getting a bit of momentum and then it all coming crashing down again seems like it just symbolizes the whole ollie rain and i also think from your perspective when you think of as a fan and you feel like you're you're banging your head against a brick wall but the way you think and the way the board thinks are completely different they've got different motivations and you like to think as a fan and like I do as well you like to think these people in in these boardrooms are making decisions for footballing reasons but sadly they're just not and like you just said there Ollie's done a lot of good for United repairing the image bringing back just the club to, I think, almost similar to what Southgate's done at England. Just repairing that image and he, you have progressed. But has he progressed in a parallel to how much the team has progressed? Because your team now, and if you are a Conte, surely you're looking at that, that United job. And what an opportunity it is, it is. Because we talk of it and people are talking of it as if it is this kind of poison chalice I don't think there's been a bigger opportunity for a manager in world football you've got a sleeping giant in Manchester United ready for someone to go in there get them back to the team they were if you're the manager that brings Manchester United back to the top regardless of how long it is 
Because, yeah, we're not, you're not lying to yourself. Conte isn't going to be a long-term fix, probably, going off his previous uh, times at, at clubs. But what an opportunity. Yeah. But in terms of Conte as well, we look back at his, his previous teams and how it, it's, it's gone wrong just because he's fallen out with the board or he's not been backed how much he wants. He, he, well, he's been let down by the board. Surely we're going to see that happening at, at United. That happens countless times and has happened to to managers before him. For me, with Conte, I think there's just it's the volatility that I think United should stay away from. I just think it's it's risky, and I do understand that the owners now. Surely, I can't believe they haven't sacked Solskjaer. If you look at the team you've got, there's a huge opportunity that if you've got the right manager in that if not this season, but definitely next season, that you should be, with maybe the addition of a, a defensive midfielder, you should be challenging for titles. You should be there and thereabouts in the Champions League. And I don't think it's an opportunity that, as a club, you can let up. No. I think you have to you have to seize it now. Yeah. And if they're not already p- planning for Ollie's replacement, then they need to start planning because... Surely they know within themselves that this isn't sustainable and it's not going to work with Oli. It really isn't. It just isn't. We've not seen any progression. Um, yeah, what more do you want to say, really? Well, yeah, touching on what you just said there about um, a manager coming in and sort of potentially maybe next season challenging. But if you look at the team, like you said, they should be challenging now. I mean, eight points off the top of the table after just nine games in, I think that in itself is is a sackable offence of the team that he's got. And on top of that, the manner of the defeat on Sunday, I mean, you could have argued that a lot of United fans, most United fans were probably expecting to get beat on Sunday. I was as well. But even if we'd got beat 2 or 3-0 and put in a half-decent performance... There would have been obviously questions raised, but the manner of the defeat, it was sort of, it was just, you could tell the coaching had so much of an effect on that game. The defending, the the press, like I said, and they just don't work as a team, do they? They aren't the team, Man United. They are just a bunch no. of, they are just a whole load of individuals thrown together and pieces of individual brilliance is what gets them out of games against teams that aren't quite as good and there will be points even if Solskjaer stayed as manager there will still be points don't get me wrong where United will win a big game against a big team through pieces of individual brilliance that's what happens when you've got people like Ronaldo Bruno Fernandes in the team but it's not sustainable and like you say when, when you do start playing better teams they got obliterated on Sunday, absolutely battered by a good team, a very good team. They've been scraping past teams that have been either half the team's been out injured or they're teams that you fully expect Man United to beat and they've been scraping by them with the odd late goal. I actually saw a stat yesterday that said if it wasn't, if game, obviously this is hypothetical, matches don't finish on the 80th minute. But if this season matches finished in the 80th minute, Manchester United would have won won one game in all competitions. That would, yeah, and that was the, fir- the first game of the season against against Leeds. 
But that's the thing. There's just patterns emerge with United, and the whole Ollie reign has been just patterns like that, and just things that you can't ignore from an outsider's perspective. I, I think as well. There's so many examples now as well of of Ollie letting outside voices change what he's going to do in his plans, and he lets his insecurities get the better of him. Because this weekend, you talk about going out and pressing. This weekend would have been a perfect time for him to play the kind of football that he has been so keen to do so with. this. He's played his whole tenure has been sitting in and playing counter-attacking football against teams that United should be dominating against. Yeah. And then a team comes along that's going to press him that would suit that style for him to sit in and resolute defending and catch him on the break. And you come out and you press him. Yeah. It's just crazy. And he keeps making decisions now that before he'd make unpopular decisions, but there'd be a reason behind them. Now he's just making unpopular decisions and there's no real reason why. And there's no, you can't see any benefit from it. What does Ollie benefit from? This whole Van der Beek saga is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. It's quite clear that the United board either just said to Ollie, this is, these are the lists of players that we can get. Do you want one of them? And he's gone for Dan, Donny van der Beek. Or it just leads you to think that, did he ever want Donny van der Beek? But Oli could have made decisions that would help with popularity, but also could help on the pitch as well. With van der Beek, I just genuinely don't understand it at all. Because you've got two players in Fred and McTominay that are not only getting the fans angry at you, and miffed at the decisions you're making, but they're not playing well either. He's just, I don't know, there's just a catalogue of errors, and just he makes strange decisions. Yeah. And it leads you to think that he is letting outside influences get to him, like he's trying to make up for something. I don't know. I, I, I think of Oli as well that he's got, it seems to me that he's gotten away from what what he was known for, and that man management, and he, it's a bit of a myth, really, isn't it? This man management thing. Yeah. Because the only players that are happy are the ones that that play, and that sounds ridiculous. But really, if you're a good man manager, you should be able to keep these players that are on the bench. You should be able to keep them happy and know that you need to play them every now and then. But this over reliance on certain players, and then that leads to players thinking there's a lack of trust, which is obvious. It's clear as day that he doesn't trust certain players. But the whole management of certain players in certain situations, the only players that are happy are the ones that play every week. Mm-hmm. And even they are starting to throw tantrums now. Yeah. Uh, You've obviously got Jaden Sancho, another decision made by him. You've got a £75 million player just sat on the bench, unused. Hmm. What is that about? What? How do you judge the, the whole Sancho situation? Again, you've got to really put it down to the manager, haven't you? I mean, there's no way he can sort get back into the form. We all know he can't. No, he can. The level he can play at, because just like Donny Van Der Beek, you can't find form unless you play minutes. And James Sancho can't afford to keep starting one or two games in a row and then sitting on the bench for three games. I mean, you're never going to find any momentum, and it is a case of Green would start the season well. Um, and obviously Ronaldo's always going to play up front 
Um, so they've accommodated Ronaldo by moving Greenwood out to the right because I'd have assumed had United not gone in and signed Ronaldo this summer, which uh, let's let's not get twisted, they never planned on signing Cristiano Ronaldo until the very last minute. You'd have thought Greenwood and Cavani would have rotated that striking role, wouldn't you? One hundred percent. Green yeah. Greenwood was not sort of he's he's played some of his best football for United off the right, but he was never. This season was where we all sort of envisaged him playing through the middle and becoming that proper number nine. And Jane Sancho out on the right, Rashford on the left. But obviously throwing Ronaldo into the mix has pushed Greenwood out onto the right. And Sancho's playing his second fiddle to Mason Greenwood now. So it is just one but of the... it doesn't make any sense because... And you do risk sounding like a broken record with United, but it's just because they keep making the same mistakes. But again, Greenwood and Rashford, it's quite clear that they won't work. They're both so similar. Neither of them want to come back and defend, which I think is just criminal how they're being allowed to get away with that. Especially against a team like Liverpool. How you feel like how when when we that was the thing that I saw against Leicester. You were playing with four attackers that weren't coming back. Bruno obviously presses, but then often gets caught could press is too high and no one else is pressing with him. So people just play around him and then he ends up not being sat in with, with the rest of the midfield, which leaves more gaps. But it's just not going to work. They're not creative players. Greenwood and Rashford, they're goal scorers. And you've got Ronaldo as well. There's no creativity there. Why you wouldn't play Sancho against Liverpool is just beyond me. I really, I know it's hard to drop Mason Greenwood, but he's a young player. He should be able to understand that I think at the end of the day, it is, it is Greenwood or Rashford, really, in that team. Um, just to, obviously, we need to talk about Liverpool as well. Um, I, I thought Liverpool were good. I think it was a case of United made them look better than they were. What did you take from Liverpool? Were you impressed? wasn't overly impressed because I don't think you need you didn't need to be overly impressed with Liverpool. Man, Man United made it that easy for them. I mean, Liverpool could have... That Liverpool team could have gone out, all of them, until five in the morning the night before. And all had 15 pints and they would have still have torn Manchester United apart. That's how easy it was for them. I mean, you just... It was... Some of the stuff you saw from United was was Sunday League stuff. And I, and Liverpool players... I don't know, I think the Liverpool players would have known, Klopp would have known that United are in a bit of a sticky patch, but they would have gone to Old Trafford expecting a hell of a lot of a more difficult game. Because form sort of does go out the window in their matches normally, doesn't it? Yeah, I thought Liverpool were, were decent. They were OK, but that's all they needed to be. They didn't need to step up a level. They could have easily stepped it up a level, I'm, I'm sure. And it would have been... And they had players out injured as well. It would have been frightening to see. They had a midfield of, they had a midfield of Henderson... Cater and Milner. That's the thing, they Klopp and United complain about their midfield problems. Klopp went for a, a pragmatic approach as well. You could see, obviously, Mane didn't start. The midfield wasn't the most sort of extensive midfield or or sort of flare flare based midfield, and he's gone for a pragmatic approach approach as he was probably expecting a, a lot more of a difficult and tighter game and. They, 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 they were afforded to play that style of play and them type of players and they still cut through Manchester United like there was, there was no tomorrow I mean and also United they obviously had that chance to take the lead through Bruno 
On the rare occasion that they did get forward and did test the Liverpool defence, cracks did start to show. Obviously, yeah. Ronaldo was unlucky to have that goal ruled out. But, and that was poor defending from Trent and Canate, letting Ronaldo in on his right foot. Yeah. There was definitely room for, for United to take advantage of Liverpool. And I think that's what makes it even more worrying for United, is that Liverpool were good, obviously. You don't beat United 5-0, but United were really bad. Yeah. And it kind of does debunks that whole argument that United haven't got the defensive midfielder or and that that one position is the causal factor for their downfall they had Mil- they had Milner Cater and Henderson I mean you know how unreliable Cater can be and I mean Cater's how unlucky has Cater been by the way played against Atletico scored a really nice goal and then was dragged at half time because of the two goals that he pretty much gave away or had a hand in and then at the weekend, scores, and then that Pogba challenge as well. I mean, what I thought that was just in another layer to it, Pogba. And to be honest, a lot of players, just petulance from United players, ill-discipline. And I think that really stems from a lack of leadership. And that's when you have to look at Harry Maguire. I know it's no one came off good from that game for United, but if anyone came off worse, it was it was Harry Maguire. You see at certain points when you there were like when there's breaks in play and Liverpool were about three 0 up and there's a break in play and Maguire's just stood there and saying nothing and he just does not strike me as a leader. And that's where you see things like that happening. You see ill discipline from players, players flying in red cards and just petulance. It was just embarrassing. I don't know what you think of Maguire. I know you you love Maguire. And I, I do rate him highly as a player. I don't know how you how highly you rate him as a captain though. I think he's I think he's arguably well, his individual game's def one hundred percent improved since he was made United captain. Um whether he's he should be Man United's captain, I don't know. I don't I don't see inside the dressing room, I don't I don't spend days at Carrington, I don't I don't know any of the players personally. So it's difficult for me to tell me to see what sort of character he actually is inside behind the scenes. But it's not the biggest of my worries, really. Maguire being captain, if anything, I think the problems far lie far deeper than um, the captaincy yeah. choice. I think he, he probably, yeah, I think he's got enough about him probably to be Manchester United captain. But you've got, I, I do admit the the organisation and at the back and on Sunday and all season really what we've seen I think it's it's dropped off massively since Rafael Varane's been injured but that's been ex- that would be expected I mean the quality of Varane and what he can do individually just to sort of pepper team up and improve a defence you'd expect when you're signing someone like him so and I always knew it'd be a big miss when he got injured hopefully he can be back soon because we do definitely need him I would have loved to see Varane play against Liverpool to see if it would have been that different. Yeah. Because I don't, I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced. And I don't know if Maguire is 100% fit. But I get what you're saying with Maguire. And when the, when it's going good, he seems like the right man. But anyone can lead a team or anyone can captain in a, a team when it's going well. Yeah. It's when the going gets tough is where players like him need to come to the fore. And I know I agree. It's not high. 
high on your list of, of priorities at the moment. So yeah, just before we move on, obviously Sir Alex has been at the, the training ground this week. What kind of things do you think they've been trying to do to to rally the players? Do you think there's been motivational speeches from Sir Alex? Because I don't know if, if Sir Alex is going in there and, and speaking to the players and berating the players or trying to focus in his efforts on the players. I think you're not going to see any improvement from that. If I was those players, I'd be sat there thinking, why is Sir Alex not sat talking to Ollie? Which I'm sure he probably is. But all this needs to be directed at Ollie. Yeah. If they think there is a future with, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's him that needs to improve. I don't think it is those players. Obviously, there is obviously there is a certain amount of improvement they need to do themselves, but what what, what do you think they, they've been doing this week? You don't really know. I mean, that's sort of the the theme and style of Manchester United for the past 10, 15 years. You don't, you don't really know, and I don't think they really know. Um, in all honesty... I've no idea why Alex Ferguson's going in there, sort of, as they said, protecting Ollie, defending his case. Surely Alex Ferguson knows enough about football to know Manchester United need a change. Would you not have thought? You'd assume so. And he's in. And he's... He was the one saying after games that he'd he'd made wrong decisions and not playing Ronaldo against Everton. Yeah, I think now he's almost retracting and backtracking and for starters it shouldn't even be his responsibility no the guy should just be enjoying retirement shouldn't have to worry about this kind of stuff but I think this is one of the main problems with United and you compare it to other clubs and how how football's evolved over the past 10 years and it's clear to see you can even see it in United's coaching setup. people like Kieran McKenna Darren Fletcher Michael Carrick Mike Phelan there's too much of old friends sort of influenced going on at United still. Alex Ferguson there at the top, he's... We all love Alex Ferguson. What he did for Man United, he rebuilt Manchester United from from the ground and he's provided the foundations for everything. Man, he's, he is Manchester United, there's no doubt about it. But there comes a time when you have to accept that football moves on, times evolve and these people just need to take a step back and realise that football's going in a new direction and teams like Liverpool, City, Chelsea, they're a prime example of you just need to be more ruthless and you can't hold on to it. And I, 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 do, I do really rate the, the loyalty shown to, from Ferguson and people, people like Gary Neville towards Solskjaer and their friends and they're never going to stab him in the back. They're always going to defend them no matter what. But if there's nothing constructive to say, don't say anything, and don't have an input. It gets to a point though where those kind of pundits, they're they're in a job, they're in they're they're employed to be impartial, to give yeah. honest opinion, and but just honest opinion and like yeah, be impartial to a degree, but have their opinion and know that there's no conflicts of interest. I mean, in my opinion, if Gary Neville ain't willing to be honest. Who is? And he's just going to protect his friends. I don't want to see him on the TV. I don't want to see him talking about the game. I want to see someone there that's going to give an honest view and not have these conflicts of interest because it kind of makes you you his his point redundant. Whatever he says about United, it's just there's no real point in it. Yeah, it's like he says. It's like Neville said. He said, "I'm never going to sit here." And throw my throw my ex teammate under the bus, or call for him to be sacked. But 
He wouldn't be saying that if he didn't actually think deep down that's what United need. He knows that Manchester United need a new manager. He knows that Solskjaer isn't quite up to it. And he wouldn't be coming out and saying, I'm not going to throw my mate under the bus. So, you know... The... But no one's asking him to be really harsh with no, it. it. And it's just about accepting the fact that the coaching is where the issues lie. Mm. Did you see that video? He was obviously, after the game, he was talking with Nev- with uh, Carragher and Sunis, And they were just having him on, really. But he was basically just everything in his power and just not to say that it was the coaching. And he even had a slip of the tongue where he did say it was the coaching and then quickly retracted it. But it's just ridiculous. Yeah. If he's just going to go on TV, I, I understand why he's backing his friend. And like, like you said, there is an element of that that you respect, but it's not why you watched watch these people on TV. No. And... It isn't. Like, if he's not willing to, if he can't be fully honest and transparent about what he believes and lets things like that affect what he's saying, he shouldn't be on there. For, for if it's this kind of a topic, he shouldn't be he shouldn't be chosen for it. Yeah. And that sounds ridiculous, but because obviously you want to see the best pundits on, but it's almost a bit redundant. Yeah. There's no point watching what he has to say. Before we move on, as a United fan, who do you want to see come in if Ollie were to go? Well, I think if you're sort of looking for someone that can provide maybe an instant impact, but also be there for a long-term project and and develop young players and really sort of yeah sort of be be there for years. I like the IX manager uh, Ten Hag. Yeah, I mean he's done a fantastic job with IX. Obviously, it's a different different cut of cloth coming to to the Premier League and doing that here. But just his management style and the way he sets up his teams, exciting attacking football. That's what I um that's what I'd like to see United. I'd like to see him there. But obviously I think it's gonna be difficult, especially mid season, if you if Ollie does go soon, it's gonna be very difficult to prize him away from Ajax mid season. Um I don't think you would, would you? No, you would It wouldn't. would have to be a end of end yeah. of the season. It'd have to be there'd have to be some sort of interim manager in there or maybe just give Ollie to the end of the season, which it wouldn't be healthy. Um No. Conte I would I I'd I'd definitely take him. Don't I? Don't care what anyone, any United fan says or people higher up at the club think. He's not right for the, for the DNA as they call it. Um, you need, we need to start winning trophies again, and if that's what it's going to take, it's going to ruffle a few feathers. And and what someone like Antonio Conte would do would he would come in and he would highlight the people that aren't quite up to it. That's what these managers do. If people ended up having to leave or something, it would show you that they're not quite up for the fight and Antonio Conte would come in and he knows himself he's got the resources he would be successful and it, we, I don't care about carrying on a sort of a a tradition or a DNA or as people always re- often refer to with United I don't, I don't care about any of that it's got to the point now where Manchester United need to be successful again and if that means bringing someone in like Antonio Conte then so be it we need to win a big trophy soon because it's like I say, it's coming on to 10 years when we last won a Premier League and 10 years can very easily turn into 20 years. I think you you bang on. Like, I think you need someone that's completely alien to the people that are at United. And it's quite clear that it's become too 
don't know what the word is, but just Com- kind of comfortable. Give, it's, yeah, it's become too comfortable, and they're giving jobs out to their friends, and it's similar. You just they're employing people that are similar to them and have the similar viewpoints, and they're all there sat in boardrooms or sat in the training ground, and they're all singing from the same hymn sheet, which can have its positives, but you need contrasting views. That's the way that success is made. You can't just have everyone agreeing with each other. No progression's going to be made because obviously things have been happening that should have garnered some kind of negative pushback from other people. And you need, I think you just need someone that's going to come in and just irrelevant, just not even think about the past history. And yeah. With no, just, you know, Conte's going to come in single-minded and it's gonna, he's going to do it the way he wants to do it. And if he hasn't got the means to do so, he'll be out of there. Yeah. I think Conte would be kind of the right right move now or a manager like Conte. I do, it's just, is like I said earlier, that volatility. I just, I can see it going wrong. Do you know what I mean? I can see him, I could also see him winning a title or doing well, but. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't it's know. like, so it's like the uh, people say that he shouldn't. He's not the right man because he'll only stay for two years. But look at the other clubs. Look at Chelsea. That their managers look if they they survive a year or two years. And as long as you, do as long you as want, you, do you want long, United to be a model like Chelsea? No, I, I don't want United to be a model like Chelsea. But if it was, if there was an instance where Conte came in now, stayed for two, maybe three years at the very maximum. One as a Premier League, one as a Champions League, and it, he'd leave us in good stead for someone else to come and do a bit more of a long-term project. And then long-term projects are so much easier to take on when you're coming into a team that are already defending champions of the Premier League or the Champions League. You know, it's Oli's done a great job at coming in and doing a long-term project where he's took a team that was f- full of bang-average players. And were yeah weren't a team that would he were even quality enough for top four or top six and he's doing a great job at providing the foundations for the next manager to come in and do a real job with them, but we just need someone now that is going to come in and win as a trophy because that is the main thing for United to get back to where they want to be is just getting that confidence under belt. And I think that's the start of Oli's downfall. If Oli was ever going to be really successful at United, I think losing that Europa League final, especially in the manner we did. Manchester United should never have lost that Europa League final. Never. And I feel like it, this season could have gone so much differently for Solskjaer if he had won that trophy. And a lot of the players in there that haven't won a trophy before, it would have given them a newfound confidence to go on and really want to... Obviously, they all want to go and win trophies, but it gives you the experience and know-how how to go and win a trophy. And I think Oli, if, when Oli does leave Man United, he'll probably look back at that Europa League final and think that was the the time where my job was probably lost a few months before it was. I think as well, you're obviously talking about this long-term thing and it's obviously spoken about so much with, with other clubs as well. But I think United are getting to a point now where it isn't really a long-term plan now because a lot of the players that you've got, and I'm not saying they're coming to the end of their career, but they're coming into their primes. Yeah, This squad is coming into their prime. And players like Pogba, players like that, you don't know how long you're going to have them for now. And players like Bruno, you've obviously got Ronaldo, you've got you've probably got two seasons max out of Ronaldo. 
this isn't long term now. Like they need a quick fix, someone that's going to come in next season. Because next season is where it really matters for United. You've got that one more season of Ronaldo. Hopefully, if he stays around, you've got players like Pogba might stick around. I re- we really don't know with Pogba in a minute, do we? But even players like Varane, Maguire, Rashford's coming into the prime of his career. Bruno's in the prime of his career. This is United need to take this opportunity now. I think that's yeah. the bottom line of it. I wonder if we'll be speaking next week differently. Whether Solskjaer will have gone. It just seems to be a news story every day, doesn't it? Yeah. The only thing I just sort of can see happening is you can, knowing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you'll probably go and see United win the next three games. Beat Tottenham, beat Atalanta, beat City in the derby. And then they'll say, look, wow, yeah, he's look, he's turned it around, he saved his job. What happens if we, if we win these three games, go to the international break, Ole's still there, we come back and we lose to Chelsea the following week. What happens then? I'm not sure if you will. I'm not sure if you will beat Spurs. I just think, I don't know if it's ever been this bad. Yeah. I don't know if... Can you remember, in your t- short time of being a United fan, your short 20 years of being a United fan, can you remember a low like that Liverpool game? Not in terms of humiliation and... The, yeah, the manner of the, the defeat is probably one of the worst I've been involved in. Not involved in, wasn't on the pitch, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, We've had some shockers since Fergie left some performances which were really bad and that was arguably worse than all of them. I think we'll talk about it now. I think we'll move on to United's rivals, uh, Leeds United. Yeah. Having, they obviously had a Im- very impressive season last season. I can't remember exactly where they finished but it was the highest, I think, a newly newly promoted side had ever finished in the Premier League. I think it was ninth. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, around mid-table. And very impressive season. I think everyone enjoyed having them back in the Premier League. Now this season, we fast forward to this season. Nine games, one win, four draws and four losses. Well, yeah, they lost against Arsenal last night in the uh, EFL Cup. They drew against Wolves at the weekend, lost against Southampton. Have the wheels fallen off for Bielsa? To be fair, I've, I've never really been a massive fan of Bielsa in the first place. Spoke about it last season where where Leeds were. They were impressive, but I also thought it was a lot. They were they were made out to be a lot more than they were last season. I I was never really a fan of how everyone raved about this amazing sort of full throttle one hundred percent style of play. But they even showed last season when they were conceding lots of goals. They never had a plan B. They never once had a plan B. They don't have a plan B. Bielsa doesn't. Bielsa ball, as they call it up in Leeds, doesn't have a plan B. And I think this season, teams have probably just gone away and thought, you know what? As long as we learn how to set up against their plan A, then they've not really got much more to to uh, to offer. No. And I feel like that's what's happened. Teams have just gone away and thought, right, that's because. They were new to the Premier League last season. People didn't really know what you were going to get. And people were coming up against Leeds and they were, and they were just being stunned by what they were getting. They were just getting this 100 miles an hour sort of in-your-faces football, heavy metal footballers, yeah, and clock calls it, I think. Um, but yeah, it obviously seems as if teams have just thought, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll study them for a week or two before we play them. This is how we'll play. That will stop them playing the way they are. And I also think they look a bit like they've burned out. Yeah, I mean, say it happened with Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool are 
no doubt about it, they're back to their best 100%, if not better than they were when they uh, won the Champions League and Premier League. But I think you saw a bit of that last season. Obviously, injuries didn't help for Liverpool. But when you play at that intensity for, for a year or two straight every week, 60 games a season, it's going to take its toll, especially with international football in between in the summers. Not much break. And it, yeah, it just looked to me as if. Do you not think have... they haven't? They haven't really. They didn't have much of a cup run, did they? They they've not, obviously, not been playing European football. No, but it was such a. Is it just the manner in which they play that's caused that? I reckon. I think it's the manner of. I think it's probably just where they've they've been found out, if anything. And I think Bielsa needs to develop a plan B of a different way of playing against certain teams because, as it's showing this season, that. That style of football doesn't work week in, week out. Yeah, it's perfect against some other teams and it will get your results here and there. But when you're in the Premier League, it's not going to be as free-flowing as every week and easy like you think it might be. And I think it's shown for Leeds this season that they need to sort of suss out a different way of approaching matches. Yeah, I think we do see it so often with, with clubs that come up and do they take the Premier League by storm and then they get found out to a certain extent the next season. But I didn't think it would be this bad. No. I mean, sitting in 17th, and if you look at the teams below them, you've got Norwich, who are nowhere to be seen. Newcastle, we it's well documented the issues they've had. Burnley, I think it's looking like Burnley, it could be the season that Sean Dyche and their minimal spending could get found out. But if you look at Leeds and if you look at the players at Bielsa's disposal, we're talking we're talking players like Patrick Bamford, Rodrigo, Rafinha, Daniel James, Calvin Phillips, Stuart Dallas, Jack Harrison. These are these are top players. Yeah. Like, these aren't relegation fodder players. No. And it just gets to a point now, doesn't it, with Leeds where when when do you bite the bullet? And can you obviously you can get rid of Bielsa, but will Leeds fans want to do that? Are they willing to do that? Because it's been he he's almost synonymous with Leeds now, Bielsa. Yeah, he's like and a he's goddamn. such a kind of court hero. Yeah. Do you think we'll see it will come a day where how long do you reckon Bielsa gets really? How, how long sure. do you think this can carry on for? I don't know. I feel like no one's really spoke about it yet. And I feel like he's almost in one of them positions where often some managers at certain clubs, when they've embedded themselves into a club in a city like Bielsa has, managers, some managers just are in a situation where they are just protected from outside noise and criticism. And it seems as if that's what's happened with Bielsa. Obviously, we're only nine games in, so there is time for Leeds to turn it around, plenty of time, like it is, like there is for all clubs in, in the Premier League and all leagues around. Oh, there's not. There is cause for concern, but there is certainly time for him to turn it around. But like you say, if if you get to sort of December, January, and Leeds are still sort of floating around that 18th, 17th mark, I mean, they're going to have to start thinking about something, aren't they? Because the the amount they've put into that club to to get them back up into the Premier League, it'd be disastrous for them to drop back down again. And it's even more damning when you look at the teams above them as well. You've got Watford, who have obviously just sacked their manager. Crystal Palace, they've drawn the last four games. Southampton, we know the the, the issues they've had. It doesn't look good for Leeds. And even if they do stay in the league, like at, at this rate, I can't see it lasting long for Bielsa. And 
it's stubbornness, isn't it? And we see it happen so often that stubbornness can be the the deciding factor for a manager and can often be the the thing that costs them. He needs to find a new way and I'm sure Bielsa, he's, uh, people talk of him as if he's a tactical genius. He'll know other ways of playing. It's just whether he has got that, whether he will, is prepared to just write off and call what he was doing a failure. But I suppose he could still play, like you were just saying. He could still play the manner he used to play in. But it's just having a contingency plan. It's having yeah. different ways of playing. And this is where managers and teams really get found out. That second season in the Premier League, it's so telling that I think if you stay up in that second season, I mean, I don't know the statistics, but I imagine if that second season is really where a, a club defines themselves as a Premier League team and can really stabilise themselves as a Premier League team. And like like you said, I think it's just how long it goes on for, really. It's how long leads the owners give him, the chairman, etc., how long they give him. And he will be afforded more time because of what he has achieved with Leeds and I mean I'm I don't know them inside and out but I'm sure he's very much a fan favorite I'm, I'm sure they'd be the the fans would be hesitant in letting him go do you think the um the return of fans has had the negative impact mm, it's tough to say I thought I thought personally that it would have maybe a possible no positive impact because you would obviously have thought. such a hostile place Ellen Road and you know, obviously, it's always it's always well documented the noise that they can create and um, an atmosphere that they can create for opposition teams coming there. And I thought that would really benefit Leeds, especially with the style of football they play. Sort of thought it'd have a similar effect of like an Anfield crowd would on Liverpool in their sort of high intensity football. But it seems to have had complete opposite effect. Yeah, and I think that is that is football, isn't it? These. Yeah these factors we look at and they can work both ways. I'm just looking now, if they had any injuries, I'm seeing, but so Bamford is out injured at the moment. Well, Phillips has had a slow start with injury, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, someone like Phillips, I mean, how long can Phillips hang around for? If you're, he's now becoming first choice for England and once you get into that England squad, you can't really be settling for, for relegation battle in Leeds, can you? I think no. they'll struggle to hold on to him. So he's not been out for long, Bamford. He's been out for the last week. Obviously, there's they've got a fair few draws, so maybe they're struggling to to get wins over the line. I don't, feel, I can't see Leeds going down by any stretch of the imagination. No, unless one of the teams below them seriously turn it around. But it is, it's more of a case now with Leeds that I think when you have a, a season like last season, your ambitions change. They're no longer vying. They shouldn't be vying for relegation and, and staying up. They should be pushing up that league. Yeah, they're all talking about go, going up for sort of challenging for Europa League, weren't they? After last yeah. season, and I mean they've got no chance of that now. But it's just and a strange they made one. signings as well that show ambition. They signed that Firpo, didn't they, from Barcelona? Yeah. Obviously, Dan James from Manchester United. These you don't sign these kind of players if you're just fighting for, for relegation. And also, it's important to know, you talk about the fans, they aren't going to settle for, for fighting for relegation, Not especially with this team. Not at all. So we'll move on now and talk about West Ham. Obviously, beat Spurs this weekend 1-0, which is a massive win for them. And to be honest, I'm, I wasn't surprised at all. 
I think both of us predicted West Ham to win in our in our predictions, which we will be doing our predictions and reacting to last week's at the, at the end of the episode. So make sure to listen to the end for that. West Ham now, they are sat in fourth. Nine games, five wins, two draws and two losses. I think they've won, yeah, they've won six of the last seven games, I think I'm right in saying. Mm-hmm. Outstanding season. I think we can all continue to be amazed by what David Moyes is doing at West Ham, how he's managed to pull his management career from the from the embers. I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, I mean it's just incredible, isn't it? What what David Moyes has been able to do at West Ham. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, like you said, his his management career was sort of finished off, wasn't it? Really, it was. After he left United, he went to Sociedad and I think he maybe got sacked there. I forgot about him going to Sociedad. That's mad. He was a uh, obviously he went to West Ham before and he did a great job. Actually, they were, I think they were in the relegation zone when he took over last time, and he managed to keep them up. And he wasn't deemed as attractive enough or or um, or or good enough really for West Ham after he kept them in the league and they went for Pellegrini and that ended sourly and he, he had to come back in and he's shown what he could have done the first time around if he if they'd kept him around for a bit longer and yeah he's doing a great job at sort of repairing the image of West Ham. I mean go back two or three years and West Ham was a it was a toxic place to be. I mean I am sure I'm yeah. sure there's still a lot of anger and and sort of hatred towards Sullivan and Gold, the owners. They've never been the biggest fans there, have they, for West Ham fans and and there, there was obviously the stadium move as well. That that didn't go down particularly yeah. well because it was poor form just followed that stadium move. But I think, yeah, but I think going back to the, the owners and stuff and all the noise around the club before he came back in, I think one of the best, job he, the best jobs he's done at West Ham off the pitch is, is quieting down all the noise off the pitch as well from the fans and stuff. All the, all the, sort, of toxic, all the sort of toxic noise going around the club and before he came in. He's just sort of quashed it all and he's managed to get the fans on side where it's got to a point where they are just turning up at the London Stadium every week and they're focusing all their thoughts on the team and getting behind the team and getting behind David Moyes and it's shown on the pitch. There's, there's a unity there now and there's a there's a real idea and structure to what they're doing. Whereas before, they were just a sort of team in limbo where it was sort of the overriding feeling for any manager going there was always going to be overshadowed by what was going on off the pitch and I think that's his best job what he's done there is he's calmed everything down and I think that's shown on the pitch yeah I think with a lot of managers that the fans they want a Hollywood manager so to speak they want a Jurgen Klopp they want someone that's that divides opinion and is going to show ambition and I think that is why David Moyes when he did come back that there wasn't West Ham fans weren't happy about it let's be honest when boys went back there, it was seen as a step in the wrong direction. Like I just said, lack lack of ambition. But with Moyes, he's so experienced and he's such a he's been around for so long and he's an old fashioned manager and he doesn't want any attention. He goes about his job. He says the right thing things in the media. He deflects any kind of. Uh, negativity deflects them from his players which is such a valuable thing nowadays and being able to handle yourself in the media 
you see so many managers, they, they capitulate and they say the wrong things. But Moyes, like I said, his experience, he's been about the block. He knows what to say. He knows what to do. And he just goes about his work. And I think that's, like you just said, you've removed all the noise. And West Ham have done so much better for it. And you just look at the development of players as well. He hasn't been blessed with ridiculous amounts of money. No. They sign players that are against sort of unknown entities, players from different parts of the world. I know they've obviously we've got the Suchek and Suchek and uh, Kufal, players like that. And you also see the the players that he's bringing on, players like Declan Rice, Michael Antonio. He's he's revolutionised Michael Antonio and created a a beast up front and a prolific striker and a player. He turned Michael Antonio was very much a player that was in between positions. No one really knew where he was going to play or how he fitted into a certain system. And he was a jack of all trades. And now he's he's turned into a out and out number nine. Well, that's all down to David Moyes. Yeah. If we're looking, obviously, I put a post up recently. Uh, check check us out on Instagram at Divided Opinion if you want to see more daily content from myself and Westy. Uh, I put a post up and it was just Aaron Cresswell talking and he was keen to kind of put down any any rumours around Les, uh, West Ham getting ahead of their head of their station and looking too far forward and he was adamant that they haven't set any targets for this season. For you, what's a realistic ambition for West Ham this season? Well, I think obviously the strength of the top four teams Obviously, minus the performances of United at the moment. Obviously, you've still got sort of Leicester in the mix that are starting to really come on now. They're getting their getting their sort of injured players back. I think and Diddy and Justin are uh, due back in the next week or so. Um, obviously, over the last two years, they've shown that they can really mix it with the big boys. And I think Leicester have got a good shot at pouncing on United's downfall. And maybe, obviously, it's going to be it'd be tough for United to. To continue to be this bad, but Leicester I think there's got a few a... teams that are vying for that spot. Yeah, really at th- the minute. Yeah, but I think outside of the the so-called traditional top four of what we what we call it now, I think I think Leicester are probably the team that's most likely to sort of break into that top four this season. But I think West Ham. I think if they finish in the Europa League spots again, I think that'd be a really successful season. And then after two or three years of consistently finishing in the Europa League. They attract bigger players. Um, I think that's when they can start sort of looking further up at the Champions League. And obviously, you can't forget that Europa League is a massive opportunity to actually get in the Champions League yourself. Because West Ham look like one of the strongest teams in that competition, along with Leicester yeah. and teams. They're like not taking Na- it lightly, are they? No, no. I feel, yeah, I feel like West Ham, Leicester, sort of teams like Napoli, and they're really sort of bang on favourites for this year's Europa League. And it's such a valuable competition the Europa League because not only does it give you the chance to rotate a lot for the Premier League and rest players gives you a chance to give young players the opportunity to develop um, in them games and but also at the end of it there's a like I said there's a massive opportunity to, to win the Europa League and get a Champions League spot um, as a result and I think for teams like Leicester and West Ham that should be really at the forefront of their thinking this season along with the Premier League because it's such a big big chance for them and like Leicester, you know, they've done really well over the last two or three years and they've 
agonisingly lost out in the last day both times to Champions League football, which in a parallel universe, then maybe they pick up the odd point here and there elsewhere in the season. You know, Leicester could, especially Leicester, could be in a lot different position now playing in the Champions League. But it, it, like you say, it's Europa League gets looked down upon a lot, especially from fans of teams like, even like as a United fan going into Europa League over the last few years, it's it seems a damp squid. And for Manchester United, it's different. You shouldn't be playing in the Europa League. But for these teams that are new to the Europa League and sort of on the way up, for teams like West Ham and Leicester, it's it's a massive opportunity. I don't know what you think. Well, I think as a Leicester fan, there is, I think because we've come so close to getting top four and the Champions League, there has always been a feeling of what could have been and the Europa League obviously is our, our second choice. But I think that's what's been so refreshing with West Ham this season is the significance of the Europa League hasn't been lost on them. And because they didn't have that feeling of going for Champions League, I know they were somewhat in the conversation at one point, but I don't think realistically West Ham fans set their sights on Champions League, whereas Leicester fans really did. But yeah, it's so refreshing to see. West Ham, are, they're taking it by storm. And if they're not the favourites, I think they should be at this point. Because the des- desire is a is such a valuable thing. And if you've got more desire to win something than, than other teams, I think it, it can carry you through a competition. And I'd, I'd argue that West Ham want to win, by watching performances, I think West Ham want to win that trophy more than anyone in there. I think with with Leicester, I think that was why it was so important that we, we won in the manner that we did against Spartak Moscow. Because it got us that, that desire back. And it made us realise that we can have these big European nights. Even if it isn't in the Champions League. Which is what we would have liked to have been in. But he, like you said, it's such an important competition. And it's a big trophy as well. Yeah. I mean, look like you were saying. If United had won a Europa League last season. It would have been a trophy on Solskjaer's record. And could have potentially changed their, their trajectory this season. Because having silverware, it just... There is no bad silverware to win, is there? To get that feeling of winning, it's so important and it's what breeds the the motivation and the desire that I was talking about. And yeah, I've just been so impressed by West Ham. I think it's it was so important as well that they did stabilise and they have done that under Moyes because they were such a yo-yo team at one point and there was always the risk of them going down and they are a big club, West Ham. They deserve to be vying for these Europa League spots. I, I can't see them come the end of the season. I, I think, well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it, it really does depend on United. I think if United pull the plug on Solskjaer soon and get a Conte in, I can see them getting top four and it would be absolutely criminal if they don't with that team. But if you look at the other teams, that fifth place, obviously at the minute you've got Brighton sitting in fifth, you've got Spurs in sixth, Everton in eighth, Leicester ninth, tenth Arsenal, and Arsenal have been impressive. There's a few teams there vying for that fifth or even fourth spot. It's going to be exciting. West Ham, I think, will be there or thereabouts. I can see them getting Europa League again. And I think it, but it looks like they are going to really focus on the pre- the Europa League and really try and have some success in that tournament. And what it could be amazing for West Ham that if they can win a trophy, a European trophy, I think, yeah, it could it could be massive for West Ham. So obviously Arsenal, we'll talk about Arsenal for a little bit. It was last Friday they beat Aston Villa three uh, one. 
been really impressive this season, I think, Arsenal. And I think they're, really, they're starting to show identity, uh, and which is something that had been lost on them um, for the last... So, uh, for as long as I can remember, really. Ever since uh, Wenger went, and obviously even before Wenger, Wenger went, it, it had gone peak tongue. Do you think Arsenal fans are now right to trust the process? Right to trust Arteta? Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, like you say, obviously a lot was made of... They lost the first three games in the league this season and I think Arteta was probably odds-on to be the first manager to be sacked. And At that time, there was probably good reason to believe to believe that. But um, as Arteta has always said, he's always asked Arsenal fans for time and for patience and to trust the process and I feel like it's really sort of coming to the fore now is you are starting to see an identity and a style of play with Arsenal which which yeah like you say you haven't seen for years and so obviously some of the signings they've made Lukonga I think is it Nuno Nuno who's the uh, left back is it Tavares Tavares, Tavares yeah, yeah. He looks a good player, and they're sort of adding depth to the what the quality of their squad, and in, they've still not got a squad on by any means as good as the teams in the top four. But at the yeah. moment, they're showing unity and they're showing an idea of what they want to do. And Arteta, it really seems like he is starting to implement his style of football on that team, and they are starting to really get entwined with him and listen to him and take everything on board and from what I've seen over the last two or three weeks when I've watched Arsenal I watched them against Tottenham in the North London derby I watched a bit on Friday against Villa in the first half where they absolutely battered Aston Villa and it, it, it does seem like that there's no really ceiling of success for this young Arsenal team now yeah and, but it's um, going to be interesting because they're playing Leicester at the weekend so I'll get to watch them first hand um but like you just said, and just echoing what you said, really, it's for me. It's just a, they found balance, and they've for so so many years now. Arsenal would make signings that didn't seem to have any kind of thought in them. Um, obviously, you see clubs, and the signings should be made with the thought of or how they're going to link with other players, and certain temperaments need to be looked into. Finally, I think now we're starting to see that take place, and. We're starting to see what the plan is. Yeah. They've got a very just a this the most balanced first eleven that I've seen from Arsenal in a long time. Been impressed with the two centre backs, Gabriel and Ben White. Um, ball both ball playing centre backs, and they're both they're both a clear kind of mod. You, you, with certain players now, you're seeing the kind of players that that Arteta likes. He likes players that are good on the ball, that are agile, mobile. And willing to play this game where you play in transitions. And I like the way they play with a 4-2-3-1. They've always got options. So when they're playing this like fast counter-attacking play, you've got players like Emil Smith-Rowe, Saka, in between the lines. Players like Odegaard and Lacazette and obviously Aubameyang up front has started scoring again. They play in between the lines and there's always options. It's fast-flowing football. And it's just balance. And these players, they're playing with direction. And I think if you compare the Arsenal and United trajectories that they've been on, I thought Arteta would have been the first to go. 
But now we're really starting to see Varteta, what he has been implementing, what they've been working on on the training ground. And they're just more resilient. They're more robust. They defend better. And it is that identity, isn't it? And so yeah. many teams you see that lack an identity. There's nothing to see. There's nothing. It's hard to know what a team's trying to do. With our, And it was like that with Arsenal for a long period of time. But I think we now know what Arsenal are trying to do and... I think they can have confidence, Arsenal fans, for a long time, in a, for for the first time in a long while. Another player that I've been really impressed with and I'm looking forward to seeing at the weekend is Emil Smith-Rowe. I think, I think he's a top player, Emil uh, Smith-Rowe. I think he's a player that I didn't really fully understand at first and I don't, I think, probably thought he lacked the speed or the, the physicality to really do it at that, that next level. I, I love him. I think he's an absolute outstanding player. I wondered where you kind of... Do you think he could be knocking on the door for an England spot? Or do you think he's could push into that level of the the Foden's mounts, the, the Grealish's? Um, yeah, definitely. I don't see why not. I mean, I think I was in your camp as well. Even last season when he was impressing, I still wasn't really that sure on him. I wasn't sure on his durability, his... His physique yeah. is sort of, but I don't know about you, but I, I'm looking at this season. It almost looks like he's sort of gone away and really worked over the summer on his physique and his and his uh and his sort of his speed work and his and his agility because, as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, he he's look yeah like physically he looks a different player. He looks a bit leaner, but he also looks a bit more uh more durable and sort of more stronger and he, he's a sort of. He reminds me a bit of a bit of a James Madison, where he's one of yeah. his best attributes is is taking the ball on the half turn and and running in and then sliding players in. And I think you see a lot of Arsenal goals this season come start from him, where the ball gets played into him from either Gabriel or Ben White or someone like Thomas Partey. And he's always playing on the half turn, and his first ball, Emil Smith Rowe, is is always towards goal and trying to create a chance for someone else or score a goal and. I think that's one of the best attributes a player can have is where their first thought is is danger. Yeah, and he's a player as well that relies on gamesmanship and thinking faster than those around him. Yeah. Physically, he isn't going to be more superior. But like a Madison, he thinks he's one step ahead. He's constantly looking, knows where everyone is, his awareness on the ball. And he knows as well when... When not to obviously he isn't going to be getting into shoving battles or shoulder barging players. He knows how to just get himself in front to then win a tackle, to win a foul. I'm saying, if you see it, you see it with Madison so many times where he just gets his body in front when he knows he isn't going to physically be able to push a player out of the way or be able to hold a player off. So they just put themselves in front, wait for the push in the back, and then win the foul. Yeah, it's such a valuable way of taking the speed and the yeah taking the momentum out of the other team and pushing your team up the field we see it so many times nowadays that the most influential players they win so many fouls and it is a real weapon like it's really it's a it's a massive plus for a team right before we round off today's episode we're going to look at last week's predictions and give our predictions for this week's premier league um fixtures Right, so the leaderboard at the moment currently stands at 11 to me, 9 to Westy. The way we do it is a correct scoreline, it's two points, and a correct result is one point. 
Should we go through them, West? Yeah. So, Westy, what? How many points did you get last week? Uh, I've got seven this week. Seven. It's not a bad. Right, a lot. Yeah, I got six. So we're, we're pretty tight. What 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 results back. did you get right? Did you get any bang on? So I got um, uh, Chelsea. I got a point. I got a correct score in the Palace Newcastle game. I went for one one. I got a result right with Watford winning. I had one 0 Watford. They won five two. I got a draw in the lead. Draw in the Leeds game. I got two two. It was one one. Nothing in the Burnley game. I went for three one City, which was agonising as they scored their fourth goal in the ninety third yeah. minute. So I got a point there. I went for two on Brentford, no points. I got a two on West Ham win, that's a point. And then I obviously think Man United three two was a bit op- optimistic. <laughs> yeah, that to was say optimistic. the least. <laughs> so yeah, I got my points in the. I got a correct. I didn't get any correct results. No correct score lines. I didn't get any correct uh, score lines. But I got a correct result in the Chelsea Norwich, Southampton Burnley, Brighton Man City, Brentford Leicester, West Ham Tottenham, and also I've obviously got the Man United Liverpool game right. Um, so that leaves us. So you're on sixteen, and I'm on seventeen. It's tight. It's very tight. Um, we'll move on to this week's predictions. We'll try and fly through them. Leicester Arsenal. I'm going to go three two Leicester. I'm going to go for two two draw. Burnley Brentford. It's a tough one to call. I'm going to say one one. Uh, Burnley Brentford. I'm going to go for two one to Burnley. Liverpool versus Brighton. I think it's going to be a, another comfortable win for Liverpool. I'm going to just say a little two nil to Liverpool. I'm going to go for. 3-0 to Liverpool. Then we've got Manchester City versus Crystal Palace. Palace are they're always a tricky team on the road. Yeah. I'm going to say 3-1 to Manchester City. I'm going to go for 2-0 to Manchester City. So we've got Newcastle versus Chelsea. Obviously Chelsea coming off the back of that 7-0 victory over Norwich. Kai Havertz somehow for me had him captain. I think it was my fantasy league careers over, I think, after last week. Absolutely terrible. I've gone for a 3-1 Chelsea win. I'll go for a 3-0 Chelsea win. Watford-Southampton. We go for a 2-2. I'll go for a 2-1 Watford win. Tottenham versus Manchester United. I reckon... I can't see... I mean, like you can't, you could win this game. But for me, I just think it's too far gone now. I think... The players, how do you get yourself up for it? How do you trust Solskjaer now? With all the talk that's gone on, his leadership's just been brought into question in like n- never before. Yeah. Um, what are you thinking for the Tottenham United game? I've gone for 2-1 to United. Whether United are going to... I still think, yeah, like you say, it's too far gone, but I still know what Oli and Solskjaer has in him and I know that there's a good chance that he will pull a result out of the back when he needs one. Yeah, and Spurs have been really poor this season. So I'll probably go 1-1 in that one. You should be beating them, really. Uh, Norwich versus Leeds. Could be an important important game for Leeds, this. They need to be winning, really. Yeah. I'm going to say 2-1 to Leeds. I've gone for 1-1 in that one. 
Right, I've gone to 2-1 to Leeds. Aston Villa versus West Ham. Interesting game. I just think West Ham will have too much for, for Villa. And I'm going to say... Actually, you know what? I reckon it could be a draw. I'm going to go 2-2 in that one. I've gone for a 1-0 West Ham away win. And then last but not least, Wolves versus Everton. I'm going to go for a 2-1 home win for Wolves. Everton continuing their poor form. I can see it being a 0-0. There you have it. There's our predictions for this week. We'll be reacting to them next week and updating the league table as it, sa- as it stands. Yeah, so it's currently 17 to me, 16 to Westie. Uh, it's hotting up, the race for yeah. divided opinion, Premier League predi- prediction success. It's gone longer than I thought it would this week, Westie. Um, turned out we had a lot to talk about. Have you enjoyed the episode? Yep, yeah, I have enjoyed it, despite the uh, the overriding topic of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to when United aren't <laughs> top of, of the list of things to talk about. I'm sure you are as well. When we yeah. can get back to just talking about footballing things. Yeah, I'd like to see a couple of weeks where United just go in and win a couple of games comfortably and we don't have to really yeah. dissect them too much. Yeah, it's tough. I think it was important that we, we gave it the, the necessary uh, talking time today, really. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed the episode. Uh, like I said earlier at the start of the episode, if you could follow the podcast, subscribe if you're on Apple Music. We, we really appreciate it. Uh, hope you've enjoyed the episode. Um, I'll see you soon, Westy. See you soon, mate. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.